We've been visited by the wise men, the magi. We also have another visitor this morning I'd like to introduce to you. Uh, Jonathan Bornman is here with his wife, Carol, and his mother, Irene, who lives in Goshen. And uh, come on up, Jonathan. Jonathan uh, serves globally as a consultant for churches and leaders, especially in the area of teaching and training Christians how to build life-giving relationships with Muslims through dialogue, peacemaking, witness, and hospitality. He also leads our mission agency, EMM's, uh, Christian Muslim relations team and I just thought it was appropriate to have Jonathan share a word about his ministry and work and um, again reflecting on the fact that that uh, not only did the Magi come from another country um, our call as a church is to have an impact on the whole world so Jonathan good to have you here blessings this was not planned. Uh, Wes would have probably really liked if I planned ahead and told him I was coming this morning, but um, here we are, uh, visiting family in Goshen this week. Um, I would be the, well, Ruth Zare, who is a longtime member of your church, would be my great aunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I grew up at Waterford Mennonite Church. Uh, my wife and I served in Senegal in West Africa, where we lived among Muslim people for 10 years, and now... I work in, based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, but uh, teaching and training everywhere. Uh, really, the core of scripture verse that we think about how we relate to our Muslim neighbors is 1 Peter 3.15 that says, In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have and do this with gentleness and respect. So in a world where we have a lot of fear that drives how we relate to people that are different from us, and a media that tells us a lot of frightening things about terrorists and all kinds of challenging situations around the world, we want to be Jesus's witnesses in a gentle and kind way to our Muslim neighbors. And God has blessed that desire in so many ways. For example, on Thursday morning, Carol and I had breakfast in Pittsburgh with the current president of the Muslim Students Association of North America. And uh, it was a delightful meeting, a lot of goodwill. We don't know what the Holy Spirit's going to do through that, but we work at building these kind of bridges at the same time as we work at equipping people in the church, Christ followers, for this kind of witness. So it's really great to visit here. Thanks for giving me a moment. Sure. Good to have you here. Yeah, blessings. Keep Jonathan, Carol, and Irene in your prayers as they travel quite a bit, and uh, we're just thankful for the roots that we share with with LMC. I want to just say, I think uh, somewhat appropriate uh, to think about the fact that the, the Magi coming to the place where Jesus was at is certainly a long shot. And it certainly uh, was not because they had a racial or a cultural or religious connection at all with the, the Israelites, the Jewish faith, or the, 
or had any sense of connection religiously. The Magi were sometimes referred to, often we refer to them as wise men, um, but actually they have more of, by, by the root of the word Magi, you, you know, we get magician. They were ones who were studying all of the, the phenomena of the world and were not religiously connected. And so for them not only to, to, to find Jesus, but to even start the journey was a long shot. Now, I want to just tell you as a kid, um, and many of you may be able to relate to this, but I can remember going out and playing basketball out in our driveway. And um, maybe you've even seen somebody do this, but um, you're out there, and I remember doing the countdown. Five, four, and I'm dribbling along, and you're, you're, you're timing it. Three, two, one, and I would shoot the shot, and sometimes it would go in. <laughs> Not very often, but, uh, you know, uh, but if y- your goal was to, it was the, you know, it's the championship of the world and you're making the last shot and it's way out somewhere and it's an unusual shot. Or you've seen sports, um, I don't remember which game it was, it may have been the New York Giants, but where, you know, it's fourth down, if they don't get a first down, it's the end of the game and the end of the Super Bowl and a player catches a long, what you call a Hail Mary, a a prayer of a pass, and he catches it completely off balance, trapped against his own helmet, and, and still holds on to it as he goes to the ground. It's a catch, first down, they go on, they win the Super Bowl. I'm just saying, you know, we, we're acquainted with the idea of a long shot, the unusual and rare chance that something will actually work out. And the whole idea of Jesus coming to earth was a long shot. People have done many studies of the likelihood of the Christian religion actually surviving There were so many religions in the Middle East at the same time that Christianity was emerging. And somebody ran the statistics of that. But let me give it to you in this example. The reason why prophecy is an indication of divine authorship of the scriptures and the testimony of trustworthiness of the message of scriptures is uh, because of the minute probability of fulfillment. Now, see, this is where Doug should be up here telling you about this because this gets into not only terminology but but mathematical little, uh, whatever you call them, markings that I do not understand. But um, what is the likelihood of someone predicting today that the exact city in which the birth of the future leader would take place well into the 22nd century. Um, This is indeed what the prophet Micah did 700 years before the Messiah. Further, what is the likelihood of predicting the precise manner of death and that a new unknown religious leader would experience a thousand years later? A manner of death presently unknown uh, and to remain unknown for hundreds of years? 
that far ahead of time, yet this is what David did in 1000 BC. And again, what's the likelihood of predicting the date, a specific date of the appearance of some future leader hundreds of years in advance? Daniel did this 530 years before Christ. If one were to conceive of 50 specific prophecies about a person in the future whom would, they would never meet, just in the likelihood of this person, that this person would fulfill all 50 predictions is crazy high. Um, and, and in fact, it's, it's just beyond the right numbers. Um, so there was a science study done by a professor of Westmont College who attempted to actually calculate this. And, and the probability that one man would fulfill all of the, the major prophecies. The estimates were worked out by 12 different classes representing 600 university students, not necessarily faith-based or Christian students. The students carefully weighed all the factors, discussed the prophecy at length, and examined all of the circumstances and likelihood of this happening. Their estimates were conservative enough so that there was finally unanimous agreement. Now, you tell me how you get 600 people agreeing. They agreed unanimously that even the most skeptical students bought into it, uh, that, that these were all the factors to consider. And the professor took their estimates and then uh, made his own estimates even less likely, and he tried to stack the study against the probability. He submitted the figures to a committee for review, which was the American Scientific Affiliation, which was not, again, faith-based. But upon examination, they verified all the calculations and did all of the figuring that was there and did all of the concluding uh, that they could of the chance that one man being born in Bethlehem, that the likelihood of just that one prophecy was one in 300,000. Now, they examined then the difference with eight prophecies. And then they went on to uh, more of the prophecies. And in fact, uh, when you talk about not only 48 prophecies, but some have estimated that there were 400 and uh or did their calculations that there were 456 calculations or, or prophecies that they, they were trying to, to, to weigh in. And basically they arrived at this, an extremely conservative, conservative estimate of just the 48 prophecies that they would be fulfilled would be one in 10 with 157 zeros after it. Uh, Doug, what's that? What's that number called? I don't know. <laughs> a very large number. One in 10 with 157 zeros. In, in other words, no matter how, and that was just for the 48 prophecies that they were looking at. The point is this. The professor concludes, and I quote, any man who rejects Christ as the Son of God is rejecting a fact proved perhaps more absolutely than any other fact in the world. Jesus is 
the Messiah. And, and that's what even these, if you will, perhaps previously secular, maybe now Christian, I can't imagine that they didn't carry the Christian faith in their hearts after they risked their lives and made this journey all up and down and all around and through dangerous trails, risk of being robbed constantly. They gave up their months of travel to go find the prophesied Messiah. Imagine the joy that they experienced in all of that. We confuse joy with happiness. Why are we joyful as believers? Mostly because of the gratitude of how Jesus changes our life. Jesus brings us new hope. Jesus brings light into our darkness. Jesus gives us an assurance and a promise that things will not only get better, but that we are not alone in whatever we're going through. He will always be there. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. That's our battle. We confuse the circumstances that we're in, the struggles that we face, and we take those on as our battles. It is a reality that we deal with, but look, the biggest battle that it represents, we've already won. We've won that battle. So the coming of Jesus is the establishing of the ability to have joy in the face of great trials because we know that our hope is in heaven. We know our hope is in the divine nature of Jesus, as Peter said in, this, in these verses. So here's the biblical formula for joy. Add to your life these ingredients. Gratitude, humility, Forgiveness, faith, hope, patience, love. Does that sound familiar? Fruits of the Spirit. Now take away from these things resentment, anger, fears, greed, jealousy, pride, and complaining. And that computes to joy. It results in joy. People often think that when the circumstances are right, then we're, then we're happy. And they may be right. You may be happy, but happiness does not necessarily mean that you will be joyful. There are ways that we are taught through Scripture uh, to not only claim joyfulness, but we are also commanded. So you may not think of it this way, but 
we're actually commanded to be joyful because we're commanded to live like Christ and we're commanded to actually act like Christ does make a difference in our lives, in, our, in all of our choices. But you maybe have never heard that idea that, that we are to choose joy. And we do that by, first of all, receiving the word with joy. James 1 verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And so we're not only called to receive the word with joy, and, and that verse uh, I would point to is in 1 Thessalonians 1.6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. We are called to claim joy and to receive that joy through God's word. And even in the midst of all of the trials and persecution that we experience. Um, we're also called to pray with joy. Philippians 1, 4 to 6 says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. I think of that completion. I think of that that, that joy uh, to pray with joy. Think about what we heard reported with the MDS group. Think about the message of joy that here was a group that for once came back the next day and finished the work. It came, was brought to completion. Think about the work of continuing to develop relationships with Jonathan's ministry and in demonstrating that the love of Christ is for all, that Jesus came for every single person in the world. And the opportunity that we have to witness and share the joy of Christ makes a difference in people's lives. That's what changes hearts. Not all of, of the, the things that, the circumstances or everything falling into the right place. You know, some of us sort of live like, well, you know, I could probably I could probably be a better witness if 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 it were just sort of laid down in front of me. Uh if 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 it would just be written or you know now if God if I were walking down a trail and God chiseled into stone the words right in front of me and I saw it emerge then oh then I would believe and I say no it doesn't work that way. It works this way. Do we believe like the magi did? That, that this is truth and this is real and we don't understand it. We don't even, aren't even sure we actually believe it, but we must and are compelled somehow by the power and spirit of God to go find this person that will make all the difference. And that believing that, they believed before they saw. And do we have faith to recognize that we're called to not only pray 
with joy, but we're called to serve with joy. We're called to embrace joy because we believe that what God has done for us is true and right and good. We are truly called to serve with joy. Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., he was a member of the U.S. Supreme Court for 30 years. He said this, and this is a, this is a stinger. He said, I might have entered the ministry if certain preachers I knew had not looked and acted like undertakers. And I want to just say, I don't know what you're thinking is going to happen tonight. But it's new. It's an experience. Um, we're looking forward to just being together. I am extremely excited because even though we couldn't get donut holes, we got donuts. Even better. Uh, so there will be a lot there. But, but, but here's the point. There's going to be something that happens tonight that some people might say, well, come on, that's kind of, I don't know, you know. And, and in fact, uh, and I know I've, this is a, a refresher because I know you've heard me say it before. But, you know, we, we come to a time of clapping and we're kind of like, yeah, you know, we're really not supposed to be doing this in church. And so we do this kind of a, you know, we do a little quiet clapping. Hey, that's really great. Just tap, tap, tap. Oh, we're so excited for the presence of God in this place. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. Uh, you see the duplicity? We're not worshiping religion. We're worshiping the God who came in Jesus to save us. And if that doesn't bring joy, there's nothing that will. You know, you, you know these people that every time... That, that you talk to them like, oh, hey, heard you were cured from cancer, you know. And, yeah, but I've got this, uh, I've got this hangnail that's really bothering me, you know. I'm exaggerating, of course, but am I, aren't we that negative and pessimistic? We are called to live and to embrace and to serve in joy and to exude joy to the world. And to spread it and share it. And I love this story. With all the pomp and prestige of the Chinese government, they went to a great deal of length uh, to put their best foot forward for the 2008 Olympic Games. There was one person they honored who stood out. He is now in his 70s. But China brought him to Beijing as an honored guest. Why? The odd thing is that Stephen, John Stephen Aquari is not famous for being a champion. In fact, he was the last place finisher in the 1968 Olympic marathon in Mexico. Last place. Why would China put all their focus on winning as many gold medals as possible uh, and focus on a 70-year-old last place finisher? Because John Aquari understood why he was in the Olympics like no one else. He represented Tanzania in the marathon that year in 68. Early on in the journey, in the, in the run, in the marathon, he stumbled and fell and injured his knee and ankle. 
He was immediately out of the medal contention. By 7 p.m., an Ethiopian runner won the race. John stumbled into the stadium with a bloody leg and an injured ankle an hour later from when the winner came across the line, which was a lifetime in Olympic competition. Yet thousands of fans remained in the stadium awaiting his arrival. As he limped and hobbled, the people cheered him on. Even though he was not a medal contender, he was a true competitor. Reporters understand, could not understand why he continued to run despite his injuries and the p- pain uh, that he had. Well, there was one simple fact that he was out of the race early on. He knew that he wasn't going to win. But they were interviewing him and asking him these questions afterwards. And he somberly explained to the reporters what they had totally missed about the Olympics. And I think it's what we miss about the Christian faith and about joy. We miss it. Here's what he said. He said, my country did not send me 7,000 miles to begin a race. They sent me to finish the race. And he did. God did not send his son from heaven to earth to just start being the Messiah. He called Jesus to come and finish the race, and he did. And because he did, we can have joy. And we can have joy unashamed, unbridled, and, and be able to celebrate the great joy that we have. Because if a, if a church loses that, you lose your witness. You lose your love for each other. You lose your commitment and you lose your way. We're called to not only start the race, but to finish it and finish it well. Some have postured that as going out in a blaze of glory. Well, I believe that's, that's what I want. I don't know if anybody else will see the blaze, but I believe as I've walked with people who have finally reached the end of their earthly course. They finished the race. They kept the faith, as Paul said. And and the thing I've seen at times is people that have been in a complete coma or non-responsive for a period of days, all of a sudden will open their eyes, look up in the in toward the ceiling, and get a big smile across their face. Non-responsive for two days physically unheard of and yet they open their eyes and they smile and they're gone in a blaze of God's glory. I believe it. I've seen it enough times to know that it's real, that the light and power of God's love in Jesus Christ can and will give us glory and the strength and the joy to finish the race.